All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing too many tuna sandwiches, which is Dexter New Blood episode six. So any general takeaways from this? Did you have any kind of main takeaways before we get going? I liked this episode a lot. There yeah. was a certain scene, which I know we'll discuss, where like my heart actually was mm-hmm. pounding for a couple yeah. of seconds. Like I, I give them credit. They really amped up the tension. I totally agree. And I go back to something I said a couple episodes ago saying, I was hoping the whole thing with Kurt would re- resolve like early on. And then we kind of have this like tension with Dexter and Harrison. And uh, we're not getting exactly what I was hoping for, but I think we will get what I was discussing earlier, where we have this kind of father son dynamic playing out with the, uh, you know, good dad, bad dad, <laughs> although these two bad dads, by the way, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think they're very much telegraphing, like Harrison will have to make a choice at some point. I'm getting most of what I want. And like you said, uh, they have not dragged these things out. They're accelerating these reveals, which I am 100% in favor of. I I like this. And it makes me more excited to watch the last few episodes. You know, earlier on, I was kind of saying like, okay, are they just going to kind of do that thing where... You know, there's some kind of reveal at the end of the season and they kind of see, well, how are the ratings? Maybe we'll bring it back next season. Now I'm actually starting to think that, well, maybe this will be satisfying on its own. And, and I'm starting to be interested in it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The usual call to actions, make sure you subscribe. So, you know, when these episodes become available, drop us an email. If you'd like need some introduction at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Sona especially loves when we send, when you get, you send us emails. I live for it. <laughs> she really does. She gets so excited when she gets emails. And I do too, by the way. And we just wrapped up our succession recap. That episode probably published within a day or so of this. We're recording them both at the same time. So <laughs> I'm guessing as to when they're going to drop. Uh, hopefully there's no AWS outage that delays everything for days. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Oh, so succession is wrapped up. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of additional content coming your way. Not only will we continue to be recapping Dexter this week, I will finally get that Marvel episode that I've been promising forever out because the new Spider-Man movie is coming this weekend and I will be reviewing it. And Sona, Joel is a huge Spider-Man fan. Is he going to see this movie? You know what? He hasn't mentioned it to me. What? Uh, is, it, is it in theaters only? It's in theaters only. Yes. So mm. you have to- yeah, you have to wait for it to be available at home, but it is a deal. Yeah, well, so we have become, uh, you know, because my kid is a giant Spider-Man fan. Yes. So mm-hmm. we have become a very Spider-Man centric household. <laughs> the kids love Spider-Man. They do. Yeah. What? I don't know what's up with that, but yeah. <laughs> Everybody does. Personally, Charlotte does I was scared of Spider-Man when I was a kid. So that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> this is so funny. Kim was afraid of Spider-Man also. And, uh, but, uh, but Charlotte loves Spider-Man. She draws him and everything. And, uh, so interesting. She dressed at him. She dressed as him for uh, Halloween this year. So that electric him. company Spider-Man really freaked yes. me out, man. That is exactly the same <laughs> one that uh, Kim was afraid of. When he was Kim going. and I need to talk about this. I don't know <laughs> anyone do. else who shares that trauma. So have- Yet another thing to bond over. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, and definitely, you know, we, we will be publishing other things along the way. Uh, Search Party, I will be watching Search Party. I don't know if someone's going to be caught up on it, but uh, it's probably just going to be like things that I'm watching as well. And maybe like, Sona, if you do catch up, if we just have kind of like a, this is what I'm watching this week episode type thing to kind of fill the gaps, we can uh, just throw our conversation in there. I'm very curious to see what the season is like, by the way, uh, for anybody who's watched Search Party, because I thought last season would have been a perfect time for the show to end. And they brought mm-hmm. it back again. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know how excited I am to see mm-hmm. this. But uh, so I'm curious to see if they can pull it off again when they really had a great ending and they kind yeah. of didn't take it. I'm going to say you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
especially when they write a great ending and then they're like, no, not mm -hmm. quite yet. I'm like, what? Why did you even do that? Mm -hmm. So for the sociopath of the week, I'll be recording by myself. We have a little bit of a tight schedule. Sona and I actually recorded the conversation you're about to hear at the same time that recorded the succession recap. It's a pretty long recording session. So I'm doing this part on my own. My sociopath of the week is Stanton Carlisle, who is the lead character in Nightmare Alley. So you may have seen the previews coming up this week, the new Bradley Cooper movie coming into theaters, directed by Guillermo del Toro, following up his Oscar-winning Best Director and Best Picture, The Shape of Water, a film that I had mixed feelings about, but mostly positive. I do like Guillermo del Toro in general. I haven't loved all his movies, but I love his enthusiasm. I like what he's trying to do, and I love what a stylist he can be in some of his films. Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece, but almost all his other films I have pretty big problems with. They don't fully work for me. And I haven't seen this movie yet. But that is not what I am recommending. My recommendation is for the novel, Nightmare Alley, from 1946, believe it or not. Here's a novel written almost 80 years ago, when it was actually written, published 75 years ago, or more than 75 years ago. And I have to say, I read this book simply because it was available, and I knew the movie was coming out, and I was planning to see it. And it's relatively short, so easy for me to listen to while I'm working out and running errands. And I have to say, I was really shocked by the quality of this book. It tells a story of Stan Carlyle, who basically runs away from home. He's college age, but really seems a little bit younger, a little naive, and very cynical, has quite a chip on his shoulder. He's very smart, very ambitious, but his lot in life means that he kind of missed out. No silver spoons in his mouth. And he runs off and joins the circus. And he does odd jobs around the carnival, becomes one of the barkers at one point, one of the promoters, but relatively inauspicious. But he sees the different performers at the carnival, and he becomes really fascinated primarily with the mentalist, Zena, and her husband, who are able to manipulate the audience by supposedly reading their minds. He's actually a pretty skilled magician. That's his main performance. And between his ambition and his smarts and his magic skills, and his befriending of this psychic, he slowly becomes more and more ambitious, saying, hey, if I can fool these people here, and then I can start fooling some of these more high-class people. And then, of course, dealing with this time, post-World War II, when there was quite a explosion of an interest in spiritualism in the country, he decides that he's going to start to work his way up market and start to manipulate rich old ladies, rich old men, and use a combination of the tricks he's learned as a magician and as a sideshow seer to manipulate more and more and more people. So it's this rise and fall type story. It has previously been made into a movie, I think in 1947. It was a film noir, so it kind of gives you a flavor for the story itself. It's definitely dark. And like film noir, it's about kind of the weaknesses of men and women. And there's femme fatales. There's a lot of women here who you could argue manipulate Stan. Maybe at the time you can read this pretty straightforward as very much a femme fatale type kind of a masculinity versus femininity narrative, you know, with a bad mom and a disloyal lover. I won't tell you who those are, by the way, because there's a lot of complexity to this story and to the backstory. That's a pretty simple read and maybe the read at the time in line with film noirs. But reading it from a modern perspective, to me in my reading, you know, now this is 75 years later or more, Stan really feels comes off as a really toxic figure, a toxically masculine figure who feels entitled to all these things he doesn't have. And I'm pretty sure that at least some of this read I have it is in the book itself. It's kind of amazing to me reading this book today, how many of the themes in here, as far as the rich and the poor and class and race conflicts 
and how cast is used to manipulate one class versus another. I think I understand why they wanted to make a modern version of this story. And like I mentioned, it's in the original text itself, this metaphor of someone who is using manipulation to get power, whether that is political power or religious power, at one point he becomes like a preacher, and how you claim these rungs of being a bigger and bigger and bigger huckster, and the more renown you have and the more famous your friends are, the more credibility you accrue to yourself. I think there's a political metaphor in here, and I think that's why it's probably not a bad time to make a contemporary version of this story. And I don't know if the film's gonna work, but what I would say is reading the book, the original book, even in modern times, is really a fascinating read, and I really highly recommend it. And anybody who reads the news every single day and says, I can't believe how cynical people are today, I can't believe how messed up the world is today, it's worse than ever before. <laughs> I recommend read this book, and you'll be shocked at how many of the issues and the perspectives in this book will feel very, very modern. Now, without having seen the movie, I have a very big caveat here, a very big concern in my appreciation for the film. I mean, it has an incredible cast, by the way. The cast of this film, like I mentioned, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, William Defoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, uh, Mary Steenburgen, David Strathairn. It is quite a loaded cast. But I have a huge, huge concern here. I think the casting sounds completely wrong based on the book. First of all, Stan is basically a college-age person. We don't know exactly his age, but I would assume 19, 20, but he's very naive. He reflects back on his, his one pure friendship he had in his, in his lifetime with his dog when he was a teenager. So he's still like trapped as a 13-year-old boy. So even as he gets older and older throughout the course of the book, he gets into his late 20s, I would assume. Maybe he gets into his 30s at the latest. He still is this boy trapped inside this more and more prestigious outer appearance. So the idea that Bradley Cooper, who's 40, 45, <laughs> I'm guessing here, is playing this character that we have to buy as a practically uh, teenage naive, I, I, I can't see it at all. The one character I think sounds right here is Kate Blanchett and her role. I have a huge concern that our main POV character is probably completely and utterly miscast. So I am worried, but I have not seen the film, so I hope it proves me wrong. And at some point, I will probably be including my review here. But for now, that is my pre-review for the film and my high recommendation for the book itself, Midnight Alley by William Lindsay Gresham from 1936. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, it's not going to play to me, that uh, such an old book, but it has explicit sex. It has some really messed up inter human interactions. There's murder. So... Just because you think the movies of that era, because of the Hayes Code, were very tame, trust me, the books were not. So I do recommend you track that down, Nightmare Alley. And with that out of the way, let's get into our recap of Dexter, New Blood, Episode 6. into Dexter, too many tuna sandwiches, which is something that Dexter says, no <laughs> deep dive on, no, no deep read on this title. <laughs> Unlike the succession finale. Yeah, um, 19th century poetry, yeah. Exactly. Well, actually he died in 1972, that, that writer. He, uh, oh, really? Wow. Not, not, that, 
not that old. But yeah, so to kick things off, we see Harrison's doing errands. This is a direct correlation to what Kurt had told him last week, saying that when you're mad at somebody, do something nice for them, right? Which is actually a pretty good piece of advice from a serial killer <laughs> or from anybody. <laughs> it just happens to come from a serial killer. <laughs> this Deb interaction is very annoying where she is like, you know, berating. <laughs> it's just especially annoying when she like slaps him on the head and stuff. I'm like, okay, they're trying to make this cute and it's just not working. It's not working. Ghost yeah, it's Deb, just like, Histrionics, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though Harrison does some nice things for him, Dexter actually happens to notice that there is a job application in his backpack and he confronts him about it when he comes inside, not because he doesn't want him to get a job, but because he doesn't trust Kurt appropriately. He shouldn't trust, you know, one serial killer to another, or maybe one serial killer to another to another. <laughs> yes. You know, Harrison, uh, even though he uh, tries to do the nice thing, seems to be you know, earnestly trying to do things. And maybe this is a duality in Harrison in general. He then gets very manipulative here where he's like, you know, kind of guilting him. I've been at a lot of truck stops and hey, you abandoned me and now I don't need to get your advice for anything. And I understand the animosity, don't get me wrong, not for nothing, but he just like OD'd on heroin, right? So it's like, uh, you know, Dexter has a reason to kind of be a little watching you a little more mindfully. And then we get to uh, the scene that kind of was previewed in uh, last week's episode where we see the usual sex play where... Angela pulls Dexter over and Dexter's like, okay, a mistress, let me get my <laughs> ID. But she's like, no, I want to see your real papers, Dexter. I know who you are and come down to the police station with me right now. And uh, what did you think of his excuse when he gets to the police station and she starts interviewing him? What did you think? I thought his story was pretty good because this is something that's been happening on the show a lot uh, this season. He's telling her the truth <laughs> and lying to her at the exact same time. I thought this was a very compelling way for him to present the whole situation. And I honestly was surprised that she continued to give him such a hard time with it. Because I found the whole thing very compelling and persuasive. I think he tells her the truth, right? He, he says, yep. I was reeling from the death of my wife and my sister. True and true. He didn't want to go back to the police department. He's saying he just couldn't deal with murder anymore. I don't think, well, I guess that's true, but he's not really talking about within the context of the homicide department. I think he's talking about his own <laughs> penchant for, for murder. Right. And, uh, and then, yeah. And I think just like he said, he went into that storm thinking he was going to die and right. he didn't die. And right. he goes, here's an opportunity. You know, in that case, he's almost doing like a spiritual cleanse where he says, I can start a new life. I can turn over a new leaf. But I think he was probably more pragmatic about it, saying like, hey, they think I'm dead. <laughs> I can uh, yeah. I can yeah. start over. Right? Sure. But the way he framed it. Yes. I, yes. It's like the best he was going to do. It was a sound explanation. And I think that's what's interesting about it. And that's why I actually really like this, like you said, because because uh, everything he told her was true. And by the way, even what he was feeling was probably correct. That's probably what he was feeling at the time. And it probably was the way he felt when he could start over. He's like, I'm going to start over. Like, why? why? Yep. And I wasn't surprised. Actually, in my notes, I literally was going like, uh, she kind of is sympathetic towards him at first. And I'm like, oh, is she really going to buy this that easily? And I thought this is actually very well done by the actress's part where she goes, how can I ever trust you, Jim? And she doesn't say it in a confrontational way. She calls him Jim because that's his name to her. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she cuts herself off and she goes, your name's not even Jim. Like She's like, as if, as if she's just proving her point to herself. She's like, I never <laughs> trust you, Jim. Wait a second. Your name's not even Jim. <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, you know, you know, kind of put the cherry on top. 
but she's got a partner with him by the end of this episode. So that's that's an interesting turn. One of the things I really liked about how the dynamic on the show is going this uh, this episode. Uh, I also thought her advice to him, you know, even though she's mad at him still, I thought her advice to him is good where she's like saying like, you need to go to a counselor. You need to get over your stuff. You need to work this out with Harrison, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. be saying like, uh, let's not talk about this. You and Harrison got to work this out because Harrison's messed up, right? So everything she says, she doesn't even know the full picture, but everything she said is exactly correct. So yeah. I did like, you know, I really get annoyed when uh, even on this show specifically where people say things that makes no sense just to kind of allow a situation to occur. I thought this was good. This was all sincere interactions with each other, even as he, at least, he is overtly hiding things from her and having this very honest interaction nonetheless. Yes, agree. <laughs> I also like, by the way, Dexter being Dexter as he walks out the door. He's like, will you keep my secret, by the way? And once again, I like how the scene was written, that she's, her reaction to that is like, oh, just leave. <laughs> will you just go away? <laughs> You know, she just had this whole conversation with him about all this. And he's like, by the way, don't tell anybody about my name. And she's like, <laughs> just leave. <laughs> so then we see that Molly is uh, trying to get an interview with Kurt. She wants to be wired up. Angela doesn't like this idea. And this actually puts Molly in a very uh, precarious situation later in this episode. This is also where we learn about Logan's Spotify breakup playlist. <laughs> oh, yes, that is exactly <laughs> when we find learn about it. Very interesting. <laughs> By the way, our podcast is sponsored by Anchor, which is owned by by Spotify. <laughs> Spotify is a great service for breakup li- playlists or any other playlists. <laughs> okay, so back to Molly and her wire. <laughs> yes. She mentions wearing a wire to Angela. And Angela's saying, like, she doesn't trust Kurt and she doesn't want her going off on her own, but she decides to go off her own anyway. See, the next time we see Kurt, he's in front of his diner. By the way, how are people not surprised that this guy is always befriending these girls and these girls end up on posters. I guess that, you know, (laughs) this is like the bad policing that we've seen in the show, like back in Miami. And now I guess we see another version of it here. Up in everyone else's business. Like it's not quite Attica. (laughs) Right. But I wrote down that, uh, you know, after he's like saying, ah, you know, after, oh, by the way, I didn't mention it, but he's trying to patch up that girl's face. It's a probably pretty grisly sequence here, by the way. Uh, Uh, And, uh, you know, he's not quite the artist. He can't reconstruct her face and he actually ends up smashing. It's pretty grisly. The whole whole sequence is pretty grisly. Yeah. But then he says, ooh, my next uh, my next victim salivating. He's salivating for this new girl. And she goes, well, wait a second. There's my boyfriend now. Let me just bring him over here. And uh, and <laughs> and I wrote down that he has hitchhiker homicide blue balls. <laughs> he's very frustrated when it's Harrison actually encounters him. We do see that he's about to start working there. He's not going to work there anyway, even though my dad said no. Uh, Kurt says that's okay with me as long as... Um, it's okay with you. We also find out that Kurt's involved with the, everybody's involved with the wrestling team in this, in this town, apparently. And uh, he's involved with the wrestling team as well. And uh, he says, I'll see you wrestle uh, this week. That's just kind of a little setup for what comes later in the episode. And then we see Dexter suspicious of going like, how did they find out that I'm Dexter? Was it possibly the podcaster that leaked this information? He doesn't know yet that it was Harrison. He like goes and kind of reviews her podcast episode. So she sees the Trinity killer there. Uh, yes. As part of like her, I guess she had like a mini series on Florida serial killers, which kind of makes some sense. Earlier, I was like saying like, wow, it's weird that she's covered these cases. But I guess if she has like a whole season on Florida serial killers, it would make sense. They were all active at around the same time, right? The Trinity and Bay Harbor Butcher, because of course, they're all uh, correlated to, to Dexter without them knowing that yet. He sees that they have basically uh, dokes there as the Bay Harbor Butcher. But then, you know, in that episode, I guess we don't hear the whole thing. 
but she's saying, but was he really the Bay Harbor Butcher? So I'm very curious to listen to that episode, if they listen to it on the show, to see if she's speculating as to real killer might have been. Another thing that correlates to kind of the way some of these strange real world mysteries are being solved now, that she, in her podcast, is saying that Dokes had apparently been doing some kind of covert missions and that people anonymously, like uh, other military personnel, were anonymously posting alibis for him on Reddit, which, of course, would break this whole entire story apart if they Oh, I missed that somehow. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, in, in that intro that he's listening to. But I do find it interesting that, you know, if someone actually went or if she has done the investigation herself and proven this thing out, that, of course, potentially reopened that case. Right. Then we see Harrison at school. I found that my notes here is that I found it very interesting that everyone's pretty chill, including Harrison, about his OD. He kind of walks inside. Hey, guys. Everybody's like, hey, what's up? I'm the guy who gave you that. No, <laughs> I was my husband and he said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's very relaxed. Like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and he's, I got drunk at a party once and got suspended from the, the soccer team. And that's all anybody could talk about. Everyone <laughs> moved on from this kid almost dying. <laughs> like, small town, fentanyl overdose, almost dies. Everybody's like, but yeah. This was know. also small town upstate New York, right? So yeah. It's like a funny um, comparison between what happened in real life and what happens in this show. <laughs> yeah. And this dealer, I'm sure, you know, small town, I'm sure everybody knows what the cops are up to. I mean, as a matter of fact, one of the cops is like, their coach. They're like, yeah, you know, we went to bust that guy who uh, gave you the bad uh, oxy, you know, slipped the uh, fentanyl in there accidentally. And by the way, he died of an OD. That just happened yesterday. <laughs> Everybody's just like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> what happened this weekend? Well, yeah, I'll tell you what happened this weekend. <laughs> but quite quite a lot happened this weekend. And this is a pretty sleepy town. And all of a sudden, a lot, a lot of stuff happening around here. And of course, like a week after <laughs> he like killed the, the, the uh, potential <laughs> mass murderer. Mm-hmm. Did I say he killed him? He didn't kill me. Assaulted him. Yeah, he's still alive. I was wrong about that. Just stabbed his leg. Sliced, slashed, slashed him with the straight razor. Mm-hmm. And then Dex does the right thing. He does the right thing this week. He did what he should have done last week, which is he says, We're going to go to therapy together. I'm going to make sure you go. I'm going to actually be there with you. Congratulations, Dex. You did the right thing. It took you an extra week, but you figured it out. Well, but this is not just bringing him to therapy. This he's is there. Yeah. yeah participating in the therapy albeit terribly but yeah yes yes yeah speaking of that you know well he's a serial killer right so he doesn't want to be too open (laughs) in therapy i like his just like these platitudes he's just like well you know it was a difficult time (laughs) it's a difficult time you know i gave my son away my sister my mother i mean his mother died you know and then i was just like yeah you know i decided to fake my own death (laughs) as you do this happens sometimes in life. He doesn't get into all that, obviously, with the uh, psychiatrist, but it's just funny how he dismisses this as a, a you know rough patch. I had a rough patch. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, of course, the psychiatrist right away is just like, uh, I don't really buy anything you're saying. You got to dig a little deeper. Well, and as the grim details start coming out, where oh, you, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yes. you know <laughs> it was a little bit challenging during his childhood. My mother was murdered in front of me by a serial killer. Yeah. You can see the therapist's face just being like, I'm probably in over my head, exactly. but let's go with this. Especially Dexter's version of it, right? Where he's like, well, the marriage didn't really work out. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't really work out. <laughs> Harrison's like, yeah, she was murdered. It didn't work out. <laughs> oh, she didn't really have much of a say in the matter. Yeah. And then Harrison kind of lays out his whole, you know, his story, you know, abandoned twice and, uh, you know, abandoned by his dad, then abandoned by his adoptive mother when she dies 
and then he's going through foster care. Not a good time for for him. He's he's had a he's had a rough go of it. We see that Angela is feeling out theories with Logan. I think Logan looks like he maybe he's making a romantic play here. Maybe not. Maybe he's actually just trying to uh, counsel her through the breakup with uh, with Dexter. But regardless. She I basically said either way, honestly. Yeah, it's initially I felt like he was kind of like, oh, here's my opportunity. But she says, if you don't talk to me about <laughs> as long as you don't <laughs> mention anything yes. about Dexter, then I just want to get your theories on this. And what we find out here, I think most interestingly, is that Logan has a lot of affinity for Kurt. Right. And and I still think I don't think Logan's like in cahoots with Kurt. How do you read this? Or do you think that I think he's honestly just thinks that Kurt's a good guy. Right. Well, I have to say that comment that you made the other day about you know, there being a shocking surprise here has got me suspecting everybody now. And right <laughs> yes, now, right. my eyes on that police officer that had his wisdom tooth out that was in the cave. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right now, that's where I'm directing my energy. But it did occur to me for a second, but I, I don't think so. When I see him interacting like with the boys later on and you see him like his reaction to what Harrison does during the wrestling match, I don't see any of that darkness anywhere. Um, I agree with you. Although they, they did hit something early on where Dexter was kind of like, why are you so interested in my son? But, you know, Dexter being a that's probably what a parent would think anyway. And B, Dexter being suspicious of everybody as well. So I, I almost feel like I took on that perspective, but I haven't seen anything in his behavior since then. Uh, especially when he's interacting with Kurt. He's not like kind of saying, we need to talk about that thing later on. He's just like, oh, glad you could make it. <laughs> That's it basically. Yeah. But I do worry setting things up here that it's possible that when they go to investigate Kurt, which is going to happen just next week, we've seen it in the previews, that uh, he might be you know, giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt possibly. Yes, I don't see anything in the previews because I get no previews. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. I feel like this town is unjustifiably obsessed with wrestling, maybe. And this is <laughs> yes. all That's stemming true. from that. <laughs> what is in the wrestling coach? How could that be? <laughs> I mean, I've heard of basketball teams being big and football teams, certainly, and even baseball or soccer. But wrestling just seems like a strange one to me. But they are all super into it. It is interesting that that's the, the sport they chose to. I mean, like you said, they could frame this around any sport. And, you know, Harrison could have still gone at somebody, you know, during a basketball game, too. <laughs> it's just or funny. Football, that they're going, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess football, they've got the Christmas tree up. So I guess you're fox chicken on football season. But but wrestling, I mean, wrestling is a false sport, too. Uh, but I mean, to your point, right? actually, I don't even know. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, realistically, he joins like in the middle of the season. There's no way they're going to be like, you're going to be starting on the football team after practicing for one week, right? But right. with wrestling, because it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's like, yeah, you know, if you, you don't have anybody in that weight class, sure, why, you know, we put somebody in there. What else well, do? maybe that's it, then. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I don't know if they've thought of that that much. But <laughs> Then uh, Dexter tries to have dinner with Harrison. That doesn't work out. Well, he puts the plate down, and then Harrison just, like, goes, I'm going to eat in my room, right? right? Picks right. it up, and it, I'm not sure. I think his room might be a closet. I'm not clear on that. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, his room is pretty small. <laughs> um, whatever it was, he takes the steak, which I thought looked pretty good, um, yeah. and this like giant potato, disproportionately big. <laughs> I know this is not what you wanted to talk about. But these are the things that <laughs> that's what you me. remember. <laughs> it was a giant potato, and trounces um, <laughs> off to his room with the plate. Direction. He wants to feel out Logan because he wants to get a little information on Molly. He thinks that they might still be together. And that chat goes the wrong way, which I found very funny. Logan talks about his trust chat. He's been reading some book, you know, on relationships. 
Once again, this, none of this feels like us. Logan is shady. Right. I actually think the actor did a good job between being like on duty personality versus yes. off duty personality. Mm -hmm. Like he was clearly much more relaxed and friendly and casual um, in the bar. Yeah. That's also the reason. Like, whatever that was. Yeah. Right. And I feel the same. You know, I feel the same way. It's like, that's why I really don't feel that he's sketchy is because he seems to, like you said, he's like this overly earnest person, but it seems to yes, very earnest is the perfect word. Yes. And then he has this conversation. It turns out that he's not with Molly anymore, so he can't really feel her out. But he finds out that Angela and Molly are working on something private together. And he starts right. to worry. He's like, hold on a second. Are they investigating me? Right. The next thing that happens is the creepiest thing that happens in this entire episode, which is Audrey is listening to some music. And then she sees some gloves come through the window. Mm -hmm. It's Harrison breaking into a room in the middle of the night. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> with his straight razor in his back pocket what is up with this guy was he gonna go kill looney her what is happening totally looney chance and even says to her that you know like i think about hurting people all the time <laughs> so yeah. it's like and this girl's attempts to relate to him are yes. like comical right like oh i know exactly what you mean no you don't lady you don't <laughs> well speaking of creepy people coming through the window i suddenly had the image of a teenage girl with someone crawling through a window i suddenly had the image of scream Mm, that was a great movie. And a total tangent here, the next, the Scream reboot with all the original cast members is coming in mid-January. So that's another thing we have to watch and cover together. So no. Ah, interesting. I saw Scream in the theater. I know. That was 30 wow. years ago. So. <laughs> Shut up. It 25, 25. It couldn't have been because I saw it with my husband. It couldn't be 30. Yeah, 25 sounds right. 96. <laughs> I think 90, I think it's 96. So yeah, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, boy, we're old. Sure are. <laughs> Don't have to tell me. <laughs> All I've been thinking about. <laughs> so this, regardless of the scream uh, digression, wh what else did you get out of the scene? You know, I do think Harrison, the actor who's playing Harrison, is doing a pretty good job here. I guess she is attracted to th this legitimate woundedness that he has. And I think that there is this duality in him, right? There's this nice guy. But then there's also this murderous side to him, right? And I, maybe he is more like Dexter than we know in that he is trying to find, you know, if he needs to kill somebody and if he's thinking about killing people all the time. Uh, so maybe Dexter's right to want to give him some kind of moral code or, or teach him the rules like his dad did. If that's the case, then maybe going back to the um, him attacking Ethan, maybe he's like, this is the best candidate I can find. I am very much of the perspective that Dexter did not have to be a serial killer right. with the right therapy and interventions. He could have had something that was a much more normal life. Harry actually damaged him right. by providing this code that made it acceptable to do these things in certain circumstances. But now we're seeing, I guess, when you don't have the code, the things that can happen Although right. we don't really, it's just the beginning of the interventions, though. So I'm not ready to conclude that Harry was right. Well, they bring it up here. It's funny. It's also in that psychological discussion. We had the, the case study that Sarah did on the Roy family and, and our other podcast episodes. But she talks about um, having uh, inherited trauma, right? The psychiatrist actually talks about inherited trauma. Dexter has traumatized his son because of, A, the Trinity killer obviously created the same kind of situation mm -hmm. that he was born in. But then, of course, then his parenting or lack of parenting has allowed this thing to grow inside of Harrison, potentially, right? If you want to read it that way from like a psychological lens. Wow. Yeah. 
there. Maybe it's not too late. We'll, we will have to see. That's what I'm thinking, but I don't know. You know, in that conversation, Audrey empathizes with him, and she should because he obviously is pained, but she misses the homicide red flags. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, she thinks she can relate, but she's yeah. on a very high school level with it. Like, right, right. Girl, you have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> You know, you're not going to jump immediately to serial killer, right? Listen, yes. I've never been in that position of someone telling me I want to hurt people. Right. So I don't know how I'd react. I feel like I would slowly move across the room, but I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then she does tell us a little bit about her background where when her dad died, you know, her mom disappeared. And then when her dad died, that that triggered her anger, right? So she's talking about her anger as well. So I guess she is empathizing with him. But once again, she's seeing it from her perspective, which is she's on a different, different level. Exactly. Yes. When exactly. she's like, oh, me too. I'm angry. Like, no, sweetie, you're not. <laughs> not like this. <laughs> and that's when they end up having sex. Uh, and the uh, mm-hmm. thing that he uh, has sex with her or else he would have killed her, <laughs> possibly. So. Right, with that razor in his pocket. Exactly. Jeez. Angela catches them in bed together. I like how she just drops them off at Dexter's house going, uh, you know, your son was in my daughter's bed this morning. Uh, deal with it or something like that. Yes. She opened the door and I saw him in the bed and I gasped. I literally gasped. <laughs> I guess as a parent, you put yourself in those shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What on earth? Get the hell out of here. Exactly. <laughs> Deb actually says something funny to him saying that I hope that they... Uh, like you're not ready to be a grandfather <laughs> right exactly could you imagine that would be like the craziest sequel of all oh yikes by the way i didn't think about it till this episode that harry's son harrison mm-hmm. yeah tells his dad did you ever know i was gone and, and dexter's like what am i supposed to like stand over you over your bed all, all, all night which uh this was a very real interaction though by the way because i know like you know from my nephew my nephews and stuff like getting to trouble as teenagers it's like what are you supposed to do you know, like there's just so much you can micromanage their, their their behavior right put the baby monitor back in <laughs> exactly yeah he should wire that place up right so when, when he leaves but also to know uh when the, the cops are coming to get him eventually <laughs> we see molly is interviewing kurt about his son she's confronting him this is a very bad move by the way uh mm-hmm. not a good way to protect herself saying hey why did you pretend that your son was uh, still alive Mm-hmm. And now this is where this episode starts getting very interesting because of everything that is, you know, that this sets up basically. Uh, a few funny things here. One is that uh, Dexter no longer wants to keep eating uh, tuna because <laughs> he's had too many tuna sandwiches. Here's the, they're bad for you. Too much, too much tuna is bad for you. Maybe because of those heavy metals. So he's going to have roast beef or something. But more importantly is that they always have an open offer. They've seated this very early in this in the show, by yes, the way. Yes, they did. Yes. That people come in and you just like put the phone on to charge. So they actually seated that pretty early on. And Dexter does exactly that. But he has the recorder going. And somehow, magically, with music playing and people talking and the phone not being like within an inch of these people's faces, he has a crystal clear recording of their uh, of their conversation. So smart. Very smart. And then he finds out that, well, you know what? They aren't investigating the Bay Harbor Butcher. He's there. She's really there to find out what happened with Matt Caldwell. Yep. Matt, Matt wasn't in, um, in New York, basically, and uh, which he didn't know because he's kind of on the outs with Angela. But now he's kind of discovered that. So lucky for Molly, Dexter decides to follow them. Very smart of him to multitask this. I would yes. not have. I would have <laughs> sat in one place and listened to the recording <laughs> exactly. and then been like, hmm, wonder where they went. 
very smart of him to uh, do those things simultaneously. Yeah, this is actually pretty sophisticated for this show, by the way, to have like just the way it's assembled to have him listening to the recording while he's tailing them. And then the show is jumping back in time to them inside the bar. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was shot that way, but it was edited that way. And I thought it was good for them. They made it a little more interesting by, inter, you know, by, by intercutting those things. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we get to the kind of the culmination of the episode. This is very interesting. We see Kurt and Molly. This is the scene, I assume, where you were part, your uh, yes. was racing, right? Mm-hmm. I was like shocked to even discover it. And then yeah. I realized like, oh my gosh, you can feel my heart beating. And I thought this was really interesting too. It, I didn't really get my heart racing, but I did find it because I never really thought they would actually get rid of her right away. Worst case scenario, I pictured like, you know, he would lock her in there and she would escape at some later point. But, uh, but still, it is what I liked so much about this episode because now think about this situation. Dexter's trying to figure out, do I rescue her or not? Mm-hmm. He goes down in that basement and now he sees what's going on in that room. So yeah, this show is like moving pretty quickly now. I mean, so what's up with that room? She's super suspicious. She mm-hmm. feels she felt that she was in danger in that moment. Uh, yes. Dexter hops down there. Dexter, even more so, goes, hey, let's where we're already here. Let's go check in that room. Let's I know he's going room. deeper and deeper into the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. And he knows exactly what's up. He walks in there. He goes, there's a camera. There's this. There's mm-hmm. that. And then I love just to prove that Dexter knows exactly what's going on. He's like, okay, well, we'll see you later. Kurt, want me to close this door? And Kurt's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Dexter knew exactly what he was doing. So that was great. Yep. That was already, you know, that was Dexter in peak form. Yes, agree. Earlier on, Angela was on this caving expedition. And yes. uh, they started pretty early in the day. And uh, and literally in my notes, I'm like, oh, I forgot Angela was still in that cave. And I forgot <laughs> it. I, that's my note. That's my note. And I think I forgot to mention it in the recap as well. <laughs> And she yes. makes a discovery, her and that um, kind of bumbling the deputy she has, right. who I think is there mostly for comic relief, stumbles upon this enclosure inside the cave. Looks like it's man-made. Looks like somebody, you know, enclosed somebody in there. And uh, turns out she can identify from the bracelet that this is Iris, her friend who disappeared decades ago, right? Decades. Yes. Dexter gets his notification on his phone after he drops off Molly and Molly kind of says, you know, thank you. I think you saved my life back there. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's, so she's definitely suspicious. So there's going to be follow up on this, obviously. And a few things here that I think are very good. Once again, Dexter being in peak form here, you know, he gets his notification that he makes it to the wrestling match on time. I like his reaction. This is kind of something in the earlier Dexter version. One of the things I like the most when he does this kind of commentary on the quote unquote normal world. And uh, he says that, you know, we're encouraging these teenage boys to be violent with each other. Normal people are so strange. Uh-huh. And I will say, like, I agree with that. I have never, I saw that crowd and I was like, do this many people show up at a wrestling match? First of all, I have no idea because I think wrestling is barbaric and I would never watch it as sport. Like, I don't understand. It's an Olympic sport. Those stadiums are always full. I understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it, but I, I don't get it. <laughs> right. I see. I see. And then uh, Harris, Harris gets apparently a very good uh, wrestler, by the way, because this guy's like state champion and they, or he made it to the finals or something. And Harrison's in the making a go at him. And the guy like uh, elbows deck um, uh, Harris or Neil el- eyebrow, actually, to which he breaks his arm. Grim. <laughs> mm-hmm. Harrison, chill, man, chill. Yeah. First of all, again, I know nothing about wrestling. Seem like they shouldn't be in the same weight class, but what do I know? The, you know, the one guy seemed bigger, but also 
I thought Dexter's face was great. Like that split second of pride followed by complete horror. Yeah. Um, it like really conveyed exactly what he had seen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Meanwhile, Kurt's encouraging the darkness. And this is another good interaction. Dexter runs out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they basically have it out. Obviously, an antagonism growing between these guys anyway. Obviously, right after the uh, yeah. interrupting what happened in the basement. And now following it up here, Kurt, in a way, is kind of taunting him intentionally or unintentionally. This is the battle over the soul of, of Harrison, basically. And it's, it's all being laid out right here. Yep, for sure. And then, of course, uh, Harrison, uh, you know, he's storming off and Dexter's following him and trying to fix things. He's actually trying to do the right thing here. I actually sympathize with Dexter here, but he gets the call from Angela and he ignores the call the first time. She keeps calling. So he's like, I have to take this call. And, you know, Harrison, being a teenager, uh, it's just like, fine, take your call. But I I see both sides of this whole thing, by the way. So I agree. I really like this, that this is what brings her back into the fold. She's saying, I don't need Jim right now. I need supposedly based on your bio that you are like some ace homicide investigator that's right i need dexter morgan to be dexter morgan and like oh yeah that's what i like to hear (laughs) (laughs) like like a superhero origin story (laughs) (laughs) you hear the music swelling (laughs) and then maybe they'll have the the original uh, dexter music next time (laughs) now that he's re-emerged Maybe. All in all, like this was a very good episode. It made me very excited to see what comes next. There's a lot happening here. Yeah. And once again, not dragging their feet. Do you want me to tell you what happened? What's on the next up scenes? Or I'm disappointed when I that I don't get the scenes. Every week I keep watching, thinking maybe they'll come come this time. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, by the way, if you wanted to watch this, by the way, I'm pretty sure if you go to the Showtime YouTube channel that they have the the next ups but uh, regardless i'll just tell you what happens because dexter is doing his forensics on the body but more importantly we see the basement of kurt's cabin we see someone smashing the locks off of it you see someone like going down like the pov of going down to the end of the hallway and you're like oh is this uh, an investigator or is this dexter or whatever but guess what the last shot we see in this upcoming scenes i should say is Kurt in front of the board with the height board getting his photograph taken by the cops. Mm, Interesting. So the noose is tightening on Kurt for sure next week. And the question becomes what that investigation at the cabin uh, reveals. And uh, Mm. that is where we're at next week. So a quick question for you, if you have another minute, is what did you think when she found that location with iris in there do you have a theory of the case on anything well you know what we were discussing in my house was that certainly kurt from now could not likely navigate to that spot but this has been going on for say this happened when they were 15 say she's 35 now if this is going on for 20 years maybe 20 years ago kurt could have reached that location it's possible here's my theory kurt Yes, correct, because it's an enclosure, right? The difference is now he has his own cabin, but this was man-made, like a cave, someplace in the cave, to trap Iris. He had her captured there. She's under a pile of rocks, so maybe she died accidentally. Maybe he didn't mean mean to kill her. Uh And, uh, you know, she died in a cave-in or something. And maybe she's like the origin story for him, for his villainous story, and that these girls are him recreating that dynamic. And here's the last part. What if he 
is the actual father of Audrey. And Audrey thinks the bio mom left yep. and the bio dad remarried. She thought she and- knew her bio dad. So maybe Iris knew that dad, but maybe she was having an affair with this guy, right? He would already be old at the time. Spell it out for me again. What if he impregnated Iris? And then obviously Iris had the child, uh, you know, left it with, you know, she probably had a boyfriend. That's the father that he, she grew up knowing. Audrey grew up knowing. It's what you're saying. I had theorized from the beginning that Audrey was Iris's daughter. Mm-hmm. But then Angela said at some point, yeah. maybe that she was not Iris's daughter. I think because Angela had so much contempt for mm-hmm. our mom for abandoning her mm-hmm. that could not have been uh, that she's Iris's daughter. Hmm. So that's my theory right now, but I'm not, not sure. Interesting. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I can't wait to see the next episode. I think it's, uh, yep. I'm, I like where it's going. I agree. All right. Thank you.